This is the flight director beginning launch status check. CLCDR checking all stations are manned and the system is permitted. Give me a go, no go. Talker? Roger, Houston. FSC? That is a go. Capcom? Oh, you navigation? Uh, navigation? Oh, uh, uh. You don't, don't worry about uh, guidance, we're just gonna. Wait, 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 Friends, the weather is changing everywhere but here. The taco cows are moving south for the winter, <laughs> and uh, football season is starting. There are hopeful things on the horizon, but I really want to talk to you guys about things we're hopeful for in the fall. Books, movies, games, whatever's on your radar, TV shows, all that. Uh, maybe we should welcome people back to the show, though. Welcome back to Space Castle. It's your clubhouse and ours for all things nerdy. My name is Alex. My name is DT. And I'm hopeful about a couple things. I'm Seth. That's uh, legitimately surprising to me. (laughs) (laughs) That you're hopeful about a few things. (laughs) You know, I'm getting older and a little bit more emotional and, you know, yeah. Wiser. I don't know about wiser. (laughs) Do you see these light bulbs I spent money on? (laughs) (laughs) I do. They're great. That's a pretty good choice. Yeah. So from my perspective, like I've been thinking about this because uh, gaming has taken such a back burner for me with especially the second kiddo. So when I've had time to like take a breather, games haven't really popped up again, but I am really excited for the new Pokemon game coming out because the last time that I did get excited for one was when DT sent me Pokemon Shield. And I actually just I played that pretty much nonstop whenever I had a second and like forced some time. It was great. Before that was when DT sent me Animal Crossing, so it's, it's been excellent. <laughs> I'm kind of like your dealer at this point, really. <laughs> you are my game dealer. It's pretty awesome, and I, I appreciate that. So I'll take any recommendations you've got, but also from our listeners. I don't know. I've got some definite games on my radar. Some of them are applicable to you. Some are not. Grounded. Grounded's getting a full release, which is going to be great. Finally. It's been like two years, right? Yeah, it's been in like wow. beta for a while now. Yeah, so the three of us and our buddy Brian, who actually co-wrote our theme song, D's Notes, uh, when that was first released as like an early access, the four of us all jumped in and played it for quite a while. That was right when I first moved to Colorado, so like almost two years ago to the day. Yeah. Had a blast with it, honestly, but we all just kind of fell off because- There was no content. Yeah, there wasn't enough content. You can tell it was an early release type of thing, but now that it's getting a full release, I'm super actually excited about jumping in and giving it a, a college try for sure. When I learned that the full release was happening this fall, it was probably a couple weeks ago now, I popped back into the the early release. Oh my God. When we played, there was like three missions yeah, and an underground half-finished laboratory and two species of spider. (laughs) That is no longer the case. (laughs) It is. Glad they're filling it out. Dude, it's unbelievable. Just for anybody who's not familiar, Grounded is a game that was like an Xbox One Game Pass release. I think it's multi-platform, but it's about a group of kids who get shrunk down, like in the style of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and you go on an adventure. It's a survival game, so you have to eat and drink and survive and like fend off bugs and like build a base and go on missions. And there's a whole story mode, but it's very much like a sandbox game as well. So it was fun. So now that it's got more content and it's actually a full-fledged game, I'm actually really psyched. It's going to be good. 
Yeah, it's lore searching too, which was fun. Like there's some puzzles that you had to kind of figure out and work out together. There's enough for your entire team of four to be doing something, but you could totally play it by yourself if you really wanted to. It's just, I think it's definitely a game that's more suited to multiplayer. It's the perfect divide and conquer too, because like somebody who really likes to build could be like resource gathering and building a base. And somebody who really likes to fight could go out and like fight all the spiders and fight bugs and like get shit like that. Somebody that wants to like uncover the story could go find all the little hidden bases and little microchips and do the story stuff. Like it's, it's perfect divide and conquer. It's great. I'm very excited about it. Like legit. It's going to be good. But speaking of betas that are getting full releases this year, there's like a few of them that I'm really excited about. T for God is getting a full release finally. Yes. Fucking A, man. It's a VR game that is unlike any game I have ever played before in my life. Not just because it's VR, but just quickly because this will turn into a five hour episode if we hang on everything. But T for God is like a sci-fi roguelike game shooter style but the key is in vr normally you've got like two types of locomotion where you can like push forward on the stick and like walk like you're playing a regular video game right or you've got like a teleportation style where you like will teleport to different spots to help with motion sickness this game does not do either one of those what it does is it takes your play space which is like the area designated in your vr system to where you can move around in without hitting a wall or whatever, it takes that play space and calculates out all of its mazes and puzzles and stuff to work within that. So you are physically walking through your room or whatever to navigate within the game. So like everything is like tight corridors or like opens up into different rooms and like you're taking tight lefts and tight rights and and stuff, just turning a lot to like navigate within your play space to navigate the whole big world inside VR. It's fucking unbelievable so eliminating that whole back of your head thing completely going, oh, dude. i want to go to that area over there but i'm probably gonna run into my wall yeah or smack dt's tv or something like that <laughs> it's the thing that made me realize like okay vr immersion is like a big deal because when you when your vision is fully like encased inside vr you've got audio and you're physically just moving within the space like there's no inhibitions left hand tracking like just no controller like you are just fully there seth you were actually in my apartment hanging out uh on holiday when you tried it for the first time and me and brian were hanging out on the couch and playing switch or something and you were like walking circles in my kitchen yeah and we're like dude are you all right what are you doing and you were like very very deadpan just straight faced. you said i think i'm having the most transformative gaming experience of my life right now and we were like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you were trying to describe it and you're like just put the fucking thing on and, and try it out and what's fucking bonkers is like the game world, like you said, it's all, it's, it's designed so you're walking in circles essentially, but it feels like you're navigating this massive tower. And what's fucking crazy is that navigation scales to the size of your VR boundary. So if you got a whole fucking warehouse to yourself, you're playing in a whole fucking warehouse size space. You can play this in your fucking one bedroom apartment kitchen or your bathroom or something and not miss out on anything because the world is so beautifully fucking engineered. It, the game is fucking incredible. I am super excited. It's finally getting a full release because I played that demo, which is like 45 minutes long, probably eight or nine times all the way through. It's fucking great. It's so good that I, after I said that in your kitchen, you guys both like <laughs> paused your game. And I was like, okay, I, I can't took off the headset. And I was like, you guys got to try this. DT tried this and he immediately bought a headset. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, the week after you left, I bought a fucking <laughs> Oculus because that's what all I wanted to do was play more of fucking T for God. It's just that good. It is such a great idea and it's so fucking cool. And it's finally getting a, a good release. Like, oh, the story is also really interesting. An alien sort of god-like being, like someone who's so advanced that this society treats them as a god, has like worshippers, and you, the main character, your wife is one of their like servants, basically. She gave up like her, you know, regular life to become this like wealthy, doted on servant of the god, and now she's gone. So you as a protagonist are trying to find her and figure out what happened and why this like supposedly benevolent god has somehow now not been not quite so benevolent anymore. It's great. It's got major Hyperion vibes. It's got Dune vibes too because it takes place on Earth, which is all fucking just a barren wasteland of sand at this point. Mm -hmm. And like most of it takes place like in a cube that's like hyper dimensional. So like as you're wandering around this like you know, tight corridors, you'll come across like a window or an opening into a pillar that's just like vast sky with like starships flying in and like it's fucking cool, dude. It is a seriously legitimately awesome game. And I didn't get sick watching you play, which was cool. Yeah. <laughs> you would probably actually be totally fine in this because there's no there's no disconnect for movement. Like you are physically moving. There is a little bit. There are some platforms you two ride along, but it's all very like straight and narrow. Like you'll get on a platform that'll raise you diagonally from one section to another in the tower you're navigating, but it's not like shaky or weird. You're in full control of whatever you see and whatnot. Those platform movements are very, very short, usually like one like a one floor elevator or something like that. Cannot recommend that game enough. Play it, buy it, buy a headset for it if you have to. It's worth it. Like legit. As a next one, there's a similar story here where there's another beta vr game that's getting a full release it used to be called help yourself and that's what it was called when i showed you guys when i was on vacation it's a game where you like create clones of yourself kind of like that game i talked about a few weeks ago oh the last clockmaker or clockwinder the last or something like clockwinder that. Yeah. yeah kind of like that same basic idea but this one is more pure puzzle based not like just trying to like automate something. Last Clockwinder was a lot of automation. This is not that. This is like actual puzzle solving with this mechanic. It's no longer called Help Yourself. It is now called We Are One, and it's getting a full release here very soon. Also a fucking great game that's really like, oh, okay, VR is different. I get it. It is not the same as traditional games. Oh, yeah. We Are One is another game that highlights that, like T for God does. I actually think I played that one more than any other VR game when you were in Colorado. It's good, dude. It was a good demo, and that was just like pre-alpha. I'm all for these like VR games being very puzzle-based while still sort of challenging the same familiar you know, video game mechanics that you need to have. Yeah. I guess any video game has that inherent puzzle nature, but a lot of them have been very like smash them up. VR sort of challenges you to recognize your spatial awareness in the way that like physical activity requires it's just cool regular 2d games are puzzles you know a lot like you might have like a jigsaw puzzle right whereas like vr is like a rubik's cube where it's like yeah it's the same sort of puzzle but you also have to think in like actual literal three dimensions which you don't normally have to do in 2d games where it's even hard to do i'm really really excited about the future of vr and and games really like 
highlighting the difference that VR can make. Yeah, I'm glad that VR is kind of picking up the slack because there's been so many other games that were supposed to come out in 2022 that are now pushed back to 2023. So like for me, it's like Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, Grounded and T for God, and that's kind of it. I mean, I know I'm going to get some backlash possibly for not saying God of War Ragnarok. I was almost going to say Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> but I never finished the first God of War, so I can't like legitimately be excited for it. Are there any movies or TV shows you guys are psyched for that are coming up before the end of the year? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, I have two movies, really. There's not a lot, which is unfortunate because usually I've got like a whole dossier that I'm looking forward to. Fablemans, which is going to be the Spielberg biopic with Seth Rogen, Michelle Williams, uh, Paul Dano. That sounds interesting. And I've just been a huge fan of Paul Dano in general. But anyway. And then there's one that I found the trailer for and shared immediately with Seth the other day. It's called Vesper. Which I did not watch. Yes. I, I probed <laughs> you for questions about it. I wanted to know is like, first, is this a real release or is this just like a trailer or a short like you might find on Dust, the YouTube channel? Is it one of those? Because then I'll watch this video. But if, it's, if this is a movie, I'm not about to watch this. I don't need to know anything about it more than what I've already seen. <laughs> I should have had my, my homework in front of me. But basically, it, there's a studio out of uh, Eastern Europe or Northeastern Europe. Great films coming out of that area recently, but this one is like a near future sci-fi where it's, I say near future, but it's a dystopic. I don't know if you've looked around, Alex. Still near future, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I didn't at first hesitate to say near future. And this girl is wandering around this wasteland collecting material to try to help bioengineer a solution with a uh, little floating AI cube that has the voice of her dad, who is unwell and needs to be healed up. Like it's got all the cool like arrival sci-fi vibes where it seems pretty pared down and straightforward from the visual perspective, but also has spent clearly a lot of time on what the mechanics of a little floating, essentially ghost from Destiny cube would be, but a larger one. And just looks like it's it's got great acting and it hinges on a very small scale story that has very big implications, which is like right up my alley. I am so in for that. That reminds me a lot of like Moon. Moon. And what was the recent Tom Hanks movie? Pinocchio. He's done a lot. <laughs> Finch. Finch. Oh, yeah, yeah, Finch. Oh, yeah, and Apple TV. Yeah. These small sci fi movies, dude, they're like food for my soul. I don't know. I'm so in. As soon as you said it was like, this is like a sci fi, a uh, lady named Vesper has to like try and heal up her dad, who I think is in a robot. And I was like, I don't need to know literally anything else about this movie. <laughs> you had me at sci-fi. <laughs> is this getting a theatrical release or is this on a streaming platform? It's getting a limited release and will be on video on demand. I'm not sure which streaming platform. Fuck. I wonder if it's going to be at Alamo Drafthouse because there's one right near me. I may have to go and check it out. It sounds like it's worthy of, of trekking out to the theater for. I've seen films like this that have been hyped up that I just don't ever make a wide theatrical release but you know with with things happening like with a24 recently i have high hopes that if something like this lands with a smaller audience they won't hesitate to kind of do what they did with everything everywhere all at once or or at least like spread it out on a streaming service pretty quickly let's hope dude more art movies man i want more interesting movies like i was happy for the marvels and transformers of the world for a while it was good to like you know escape that way but I, I'm over that. <laughs> I need something like this now. 
Speaking of which, uh, Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, comes out in November. That was actually on my list. It does not. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it's on my list. At this point, I'm pretty much like greatly divorced from Marvel. but And I hate the way that Marvel's handling the marketing for this in the wake of Chadwick Boseman's death. And like, who's going to be the new Black Panther? Just fucking tell us. But it's Ryan Coogler. Everything the man has done has been fucking phenomenal. Even the first Black Panther movie. That's how Marvel inevitably takes over with the third act and turns it into a whole fucking CGI mess. But got him. <laughs> it's Black Panther. It's Ryan Coogler. If I don't see it in theater, I'll still check it out when it's on streaming for sure. But comes out in November. I'm more morbidly interested and curious about it than I'm excited for it. But it is a very notable release coming towards the end of the year. I'm definitely excited for it. My only apprehension is because uh, what's her face? She plays Suri. I forget her name. Is a shitbag. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Like otherwise, I'm stoked for it. We're unfortunately, running into a place where that's happening more and more often. It seems like the veil of Hollywood is being pulled back quite a lot these days, which is good. Yeah, thank God it's happening because fuck that. If Sherry is the new Black Panther, I'm gonna be pissed because it needs to be Okoye, played by Danae Gurira, who is just fucking amazing. Dude, and that would be great. Technically, if you go along with what happened in Endgame. She's already kind of been an Avenger, even though she doesn't have any superpowers, because she was part of Natasha's sort of like global like police squad. The squad. Thing, yeah. So. yeah. Okoye needs to be the new Black Panther. And if she's not, then fuck it. Dude, I would I'd be so down for that. I'd be missing the mark if they if she's not, I guess. But anyway. Yeah. She's a great actress. She deserves better than sick and fiddle in a Marvel movie, and she deserves way better than the fucking Walking Dead, because she's excellent. She kills it. Dude, if it wasn't for Chadwick Boseman. She absolutely would have been the spotlight of that film. It just so happens that that Chadwick was like brighter, but she like she stole the the light for sure. Yeah. But Chadwick Boseman is like the sun, dude. It's you can't. <laughs> yeah, that dude was just so fucking charming. What a genuine person. I think the rest of this year, I don't really have anything that sticks out. I know we're getting two Pinocchio movies. Uh, <laughs> more. Hold Wait. on. You can't just gloss over that. Three? Three? Well, we're getting Del Toro's, which I'm actually most interested in. Del Toro's making a Pinocchio? Okay. I'm listening. And then there's a Disney version, which I think stars Tom Hanks, which is the joke that DT was making. I don't care about that one. As much? <laughs> I don't know about the third one. I think the third one, if it's coming out in 2022, is that really cheaply animated one with Polly Shore as Pinocchio. Is that coming out in 2022? DT, you cannot do this to me. Polly Shore is doing a Pinocchio movie. No fucking way. Hold on. I gotta Google and see if it's coming out this year. Hang on one second. Fucking impossible. Polly Shore, Pinocchio. It came out last year? What? <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> Pinocchio, a true story. DT, we've got a real drunk movie. No, Let's God, go. Polly Shore is no. Pinocchio. <laughs> it already came out. I thought it was... Because I just... I swear to God, I just Dude, saw the John trailer Hedder's for this. Dude, and John in this. I swear I just saw the trailer for this like like three or four weeks ago thinking it was a brand new movie. And it's been out for... Wow. Never mind. Okay. Hold on a second. This may be less bad than I thought. One, uh, Polly Shore as Pinocchio is... I think maybe a little inspired. Two, no. John Heder and hold on, fucking the legend himself, Tom Kenny, is in this. Okay, uh, this is going to be one trailer that you you can watch because you'll never see the actual movie. 
everything you just said about it, it possibly being okay and someone inspired is going to go right out the fucking window because it looks like <laughs> oh, no. something that was animated in somebody's garage in 1995. And oh, I think no. Polly Shore recorded all of his lines on his cell phone while he was driving in and out Burger. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, maybe we do have a real drunk movie. You think that's inspired casting, but I'm going to rattle off some of the cast for Del Toro's. Are you ready? The Cricket. Ewan McGregor. I'm already in. Finn Wolfhard plays Candlewick. Uh, yeah. T- Tilda hey, Swanton. I'm going to stop you right there, Christoph friend. Waltz. Kate <laughs> Blanchett. Dude, that movie's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> John Turturro's in this? Ron Perlman? Dude, John Turturro's in fucking everything. Yeah, kind of. John Turturro's the best, dude. Oh, David Bradley's even in this. Wow, this is a... Okay. I'm kind of excited to see you it. You had me at a, a Del Toro's Pinocchio. But that cast, dude, I'm in. I'm so down for this. This movie's going to be good. I can feel it. It's stop motion, too, so that's that's an interesting take. Oh, yeah, dude. Wait, is this a Leica studio film? No idea. Don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I doubt it. Oh, filming locations. Portland, it maybe. Hold on. <laughs> the Disney movie has Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> if that does anything for you. <laughs> uh, I like JGL and all, but like, come on. <laughs> We've talked about this, but there's that effect of like the twin movies. Like somebody decided this was the year we're going to do redo Pinocchio's. You know, you get your, your no strings attached friends with benefits. You get your fire festival films. You get your uh, Pinocchio, apparently. Deep Impact and Armageddon. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of. Oh, uh, Volcano and Dante's Peak. Oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to add del toro's pinocchio to my excited list now i didn't know that was a thing and i'm excited about it and ted lasso season three i'm fucking excited about it i won't dwell on it because i don't need to it's fucking ted lasso season three you'll hear me with the same level of excitement for severance season two next year yeah there are only two shows that can make (laughs) me cry and laugh at the exact same time one of them is ted lasso the other one is reservoir dogs which we'll talk about some other time but ted lasso i am massively fucking excited for towards the end of this year believe Football is life. Football is life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hit us, hit us with some books, friend. Yeah. Okay. So there's like a handful that are on my list. One just came out. Uh, Rebecca Kwong, RF Kwong, uh, just wrote a book called Babel, and it just hit the number one. You guys talk about books, and I'm going to run around circles in my apartment screaming, Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas, over and over again. <laughs> Danny Rojas, <laughs> Danny Rojas. <laughs> All right. See you in a bit. <laughs> Back to Babel by uh, Rebecca Kwong, RF Kwong. She's uh, already a successful author, wrote the Poppy War trilogy, and uh, is crushing it, getting her like doctorate in Oxford or something, and wrote a book while there. And it just hit the number one on the New York Times bestseller list for science fiction fantasy. Really looking forward to reading that. From what I understand, it's about language, how language informs imperialism, and there's magic in there. And I don't know. It's really cool. The concept sounds amazing. I'm, I'm just jazzed about that. I'm, I'm super in for explorations of language, man. Other things are Lost Metal, which is the fourth in the Alloy of Law sort of wax and wane books, which if listeners have read any Brandon Sanderson, they've probably read Mistborn and the subsequent Words of Radiance and those Final Empire books. This is the second trilogy and this is fourth and final in that quadrology. So this is the last one anyway, from what I understand. Of course, Sanderson wrote like five books in two years or something and is releasing this one this year. Then there's Stephen King had his like pandemic book 
that is he, what he said, a book that he actually wanted to write or something similar. Fascinating. I'm, I'm down for that. That was like fantasy related, like what he would want to read as a young person. I'm into that. He obviously writes a lot of speculative fiction, but he hasn't written like a straight up and down portal fantasy. Since, since the Dark Tower series, I think. Yep. Uh, which according to him is his magnum opus. So then I have one more that I'm stoked for and then a spicy take. Ooh, spicy. Since I'm rattling them all off. One is Nona the Ninth, uh, which is not the spicy take. The Locked Tomb series, uh, Tamsin Muir. It's been pitched to me by editors as a lesbian space necromancers. I'm in. It's literally unlike anything you've ever read before. And it's essentially the concept is a necromancer and their cavalier go to a place where they essentially compete in battles of wit and cleverness to attain lictorhood, which is essentially becoming immortal. It's a really interesting concept and fantastic books. The first two are great. Gideon the Ninth is what it starts with. Yeah, they're great. They're great. I've only read Gideon, but uh, loved it. So, Harrow the Ninth is the second book and they can be kind of difficult to follow along if you're just sort of absently listening, but I, I found them both to be really enjoyable. All right. Spicy take time. Spicy take. At the end of every year, Patrick Rothfuss, author of one of my favorite series, King Killer Chronicles, he has a charity event. And in that fundraiser, he has promised to release the prologue of his much anticipated, probably other than Winds of Winter, the most highly anticipated fantasy book, period, right now. I think it's overtaken Winds of Winter with all the show drama lately. Well, I don't think Winds of Winter is ever going to fucking come out. I think people have given up hope too, so... Yeah. Well, we're now 11 years deep in the waiting period of Doors of Stone. The second book, Wise Man's Sphere, came out in 2011. I'm a massive fan of this uh, series. However, during this fundraiser, Pat Roffis said, I'm going to release the prologue. He did that. He went on his Twitch stream. He read the prologue himself. It was excellent. It is probably the only like trailer adjacent thing that I've partaken in in well over a decade, and it was so worth it. God, it was wonderful. I mean, we're talking about just like a page and a half worth of content and people were just drooling over it, myself included. It's the opening to the book. So like no small thing. A stretch goal had uh, Pat's fans and people who participate in this fundraiser reach a level of like $330,000 earned. He would then release a chapter of book three. Didn't say which one, but he said it would be released. Uh, we hit that mark. It would be released by February, and he has not even mentioned it. So people are getting a little bit tilted, and it's causing a lot of spicy takes in the community. It's probably my most highly anticipated thing to read by far out of everything that I just mentioned. I just rattled off like five books that I'm really stoked for. This one blows them all out of the water, but we just don't know about it. So it's kind of a point of contention in the community. But yeah, the last thing you want is a bunch of literary nerds getting all fired up. It's true. <laughs> I think Doors of Stone is out of literary nerd territory as well. I think it's in proper mainstream. Well, enough people are familiar with it. And, and I think it's taken a lot of time. It's taken too much time now that people are starting to sour on it, um, which ironically is sort of a quote that Pat Rothfuss makes in Name of the Wind about songs and writing them. <laughs> But it's my most highly anticipated written literary thing, I suppose, for the rest of the year. If he doesn't get it out by December or probably November, because that's usually when the next fundraiser would start, then we're going to have some pretty tilted fans. Yeah, it's going to be unpleasant. That fandom in general is getting a bit unpleasant as a whole these days. So the bigger it gets, you know, it's just like anything else. Like 
you're going to find some more bad seeds in there. Okay, I have a couple things I want to be excited about to wrap this bitch up, if we're, if we're ready to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all out of breath, and I've broken a sweat, so yeah. Danny Rojas would be proud. One, hardware. I am extremely excited for three things, and that is the release of Meta's new VR headset, which is apparently coming October 17th. May or may not buy it, depending on exactly what leaks turn out to be true. <laughs> uh, probably not, though. But it is going to be a good headset. Two, announcements. I'm fucking excited, hopefully, for the Apple VR headset announcement and the Valve Deckard headset announcement. Neither one of those are going to be released this year, almost certainly. Oh, Apple might. They like to announce things and then release them in like three weeks. But Valve Deckard will not come out this year, but it might get announced this year. And that is probably the single most anticipated piece of hardware in my entire like life right now. <laughs> you know, new PC stuff, the Steam Deck arriving at my door. Yeah, that all pales in comparison to new Valve headset. So I'm very excited for those three things. Hopefully we get them soon. Where are those coming in price point compared to like the Oculus? Nothing will compete with the Oculus. The Quest 2 is unbelievable at its price point. Approachable to the max. It's so approachable that not only is Meta selling them at a loss, they're selling them at greater than 100% loss, which means it costs them more than twice what they're selling it for. That's, wow. Nothing will come close. And now that the Quest 2 sold like fucking 13 million units or something. Yeah, they were smart. They definitely did it right. <laughs> Nothing will ever come close to that again. Now they don't have to. There's enough VR headway. There's enough steam in the VR industry that they don't have to sell headsets like that anymore. You will never get another headset like a Quest 2. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> Cambria will probably be in the $800 to $1,000 range. There's rumors that it'll be like $1,500. It's a business-focused headset, Meta's new thing. It's meant for like businesses to do shit, so like it's going to be very expensive. Apple's... Who fucking knows? Probably two grand, three grand. Who fucking knows at this point? Yeah. The Valve Deckard, though, the current Valve headset, the Index, is $1,000 for a complete set with like your base stations, controllers, the whole thing. It's $1,000. It's not as bad as I thought you were going to say. Honestly, for what you get, it's easily worth twice that. Well, you can get a Quest 2 at 200 bucks or something, right? So, <laughs> Right. It's hard to compare against, especially because Quest 2 being wireless. The Quest 2 is fucking great, but the Valve Index does everything except wireless better. It's got better screens, better field of view, better audio, better microphones. Everything else is better, better tracking. It's great. You do have to tether it to a PC. If you're trying to get into it from scratch, you've got a $1,000 headset and like at least a $1,000 PC. But the next Valve headset will almost certainly be fully wireless. It'll just be better in every way like i'm just excited about it it's going to be the best headset on the market maybe depending on what apple does you guys remember when goldblum was tethered to a pc the good old days i felt so much safer <laughs> yeah now he just sneaks up behind us around corners and shit we had to go to him to be scared instead of him just appearing behind us and scaring us Great. Can we go back? Can we downgrade him? See, I'm not okay with toddlers on a leash, but I am okay with Goldblum on a tether. I, I can I can make that happen. Let's let's think about that. Yeah. Alex, I'm realizing right now I forgot to tell you the games that applied to you. 
that weren't VR oh. that you should be excited about. Rip it. Callisto Protocol, which is going to be fucking great. I can't believe people are talking about that more. Lo-Fi as well is going to be very, very good. Lo-Fi is like a cyberpunk dystopia crazy taxi game. It's going to be great. Nice. Yeah. I have heard the names. I have not seen the trailers. You're going to like Callisto Protocol if you liked Dead Space. It's basically the spiritual successor to Dead Space made by like the same team who made Dead Space. Just they couldn't afford the IP license, basically. <laughs> That's going to be very good. That's coming out very soon. Okay. We can... I guess Goldblum. Okay, fine. Fuck. Jesus. I get it. <laughs> it's very rare that he chimes in twice. Like it, it makes me really nervous. I know. I I had to mention Callisto Protocol. Like I'm sorry, I couldn't let it go. <laughs> uh, so we placate him and get to those messages from Earth and come back shortly with a listener question and a deep space recon from me, yours truly. You know, it's unconventional for us to do that, but I think we probably should. Across the multiverse, there's a cluster of wild stars known as the Mega Star Seven. Filled with bounty hunters, bandits, and the fine dining mega corporation Ahuli's House of Good Eats. A place with starships, dive bars, and guns. Really, really big guns. When you're here, your family. If you owed your family a lot of money. Welcome to Omega Star 7. Okay, Slip, I mean, that was okay, but like, what is Omega Star 7? What? It's, it's a podcast. Okay, yeah, we gotta add a little pizzazz to it, like... It's a podcast. Omega Star 7 is streaming on your favorite podcatchers now. No, no, no. Like Omega Star 7 is streaming on your favorite podcatchers uh, now. Find out more at Omegastar7.com. Okay, I just don't know who's going to want to listen to that. Do I want to seg DT? No. Uh, excuse me, gentlemen. It's pronounced Segway. Oh. You ignorant fucks. <laughs> Will I seg DT? Will you? If he asks nice. Will you do me the honor of making me the happiest man on this space castle? Are you doing it right now? Is that what's happening? I think I don't I don't know. Is he is he gonna do it right now? Is that what this is, is what I'm asking? I really wanted it to be better, but I don't like the hole that I've dug myself into. <laughs> I'm gonna put that on a t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right next to our uh, our taco cow t shirt. Yeah. Taco cow Taco Cow uh, going south for the winter and Get salty. <laughs> Please seg me into my deep space recon. <laughs> Why don't you just tell us what you found out there in deep space, man? What I found out there in deep space, man, is a YouTube channel, which should have way more notoriety and way more subscribers and way more viewers on a regular basis. It is a YouTube channel by a gentleman named Jeremy Parrish. And Jeremy is a video game journalist who's been around for quite a while. He wrote for EGM. He wrote for IGN. He's written for official PlayStation Magazine. Dude's been around the block. He knows the industry. And for the last like, several years now, he's been doing a YouTube channel just under his own first and last name. And what he does is he does a retrospective documentary style look back at various video games for the Genesis, the SNES, the NES, even further back in like the Atari and, and all that type of stuff. And it's a really fucking great channel because it's all documentary style. And there's so many retro gaming YouTube channels out there that have gimmicks. And Jeremy's gimmick is just presenting the most concise, an intelligent and eloquent look back and summary of a video game you can find anywhere. It's just fucking choice. It's wonderful. It's gotten to be part of my routine where after I've like taken a shower and brushed my teeth and dried off and gotten in my jammies and gotten to bed all cozy, I put on fucking Jeremy because I know I'm going to find something that's going to teach me something that I didn't know about a video game I may have played a thousand times or never played at all. 
It's going to be something that's going to be relaxing in a way that I need to be relaxed so I can go to sleep. But I'm also going to be heavily entertained because he's just got that perfect mix of telling it like it is without being overly dry. The dude's channel is just fucking baller. I love it to death. He needs like a bajillion subscribers. He needs every single video to have like a bajillion views too, because it's just one of the best retro gaming documentary style channels out there. It is choice. And he updates his channel on the regular. So there's like new videos every week or like twice a week. And it's always fucking choice content. It's great. D T say fucking less, mate. <laughs> I'm already <laughs> fucking he doesn't have very many subscribers, but he just gained at least one more. Yeah, dude's a legend. Like I said before, he's been a game journalist for a number of years. He's been around the block. The videos are so well done. And he goes through like usually two games. So like a 20-minute video where each game gets like a 10-minute block of time. And that's just enough for him because he's so concise with his writing and his delivery that he just he covers the entire history and like cultural impact of the game and then moves on. It's just it's so fucking concise and choice. It's hard to describe it. It's just wonderfully done. It's brilliant. Dude, hell yeah. It's like cultural impact, the the goods and the bads about the game. He doesn't even review it. He just tells you exactly like it is, and then he moves on. It's fucking great. Honestly, to the point where his series is so good that I've considered like buying it on Blu-ray because he publishes them and he sells them. That's awesome. Jeremy Parrish. Check him out on YouTube right now. We'll wait. As always, because we have the best listeners in the world, I believe we have a listener question. I believe, too. I've slapped the sign and everything. Believe. <laughs> Should we start calling each other the C word in Cockney accents and stuff? <laughs> no? <laughs> you go for it. I'm going to pass. I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have definitely been called worse than that. So <laughs> <laughs> this question comes to us from Bob and he sent it in via the Gmail, spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com. The question is. And this is strangely relevant to the things we were just talking about in the main segment of the episode. When has the movie been better than the book? Ooh, it's a tough one. The Godfather. The Godfather is the quintessential one. Mario Puzo's novel is very smutty and very like pulpy and graphic in its depictions of sex and violence. And it's really just kind of bleh. Whereas the movie is like one of the quintessential examples of expert filmmaking. It's still one of the best movies it's ever made today. And it's a very concise distillation of all the nonsense in the book into a very concise and moving and quintessential story about growing up in the military and coming home, becoming the head of a mafia family and killing your brother. Classic. You know, family struggles. Yeah. Yeah. Standard. <laughs> Blade Runner is way better than Philip K. Dick's novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? It's a fucking masterpiece film. Which version of Blade Runner? Because there's like nine. Okay. So... Actually, there's only one version of Blade Runner. The rest oh. don't count. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming you're not a fan of the one with the really terrible voiceover work by Harrison Ford where he just like sleepwalked, slept walked <laughs> through all the lines. It's, it's that sleepwalked. version sucks. Yeah, no, that's terrible. The theatrical release is uh, better, but not great. No, I don't want to go through the f- many revisions of Blade Runner. I will say this. I do think that basically every edit is still better than the book. It's one of those books where while you're reading it, you're like, okay, I understand why this is like a cultural linchpin. This is a mediocre novel. It's like, it's Philip K. Dick. That's like saying that like uh, Tolkien wrote a, a mediocre novel. Like he did. It's like, that's a hot take because I know a lot of people who really 
I think they like to dig do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep because it's like the punk thing to say about that, st- especially ironically about cyberpunk with Blade Runner. Philip K. Dick wrote a lot of like what I would classify as as punk novels. That's kind of his thing. Man in the High Castle. Yeah. I mean, the guy's very well known. There are awards named after him. Yeah. <laughs> He's the top 10. That's right. That's why I said it was like Tolkien, right? Is like his mediocre work is still like the top 100 novels ever written. Like, you know, like it's still very good, but it's, it's clearly not his best work. That being said, Blade Runner, this might be a hot take. I think that might be, I think that might be Ridley Scott's best work. Alien. I think Blade Runner is way better. I love I Alien. Know, I fucking love Alien. Alien's great. Even the bad Alien movies, Aliens 3, for example, are still great. No, Alien 3 is good. Alien Resurrection is awful. Alien 3 is good. I will go to bat for Alien 3. Blade Runner's better. <laughs> Alien's great. Blade Runner's better. Chuck Palahniuk thinks that the Fight Club movie by David Fincher is way better than his own book. That was on my short list as well. Yeah, he himself says that it does a much better job of condensing the story and conveying the suspense and... I've got issues with the movie just because people latched onto it for the wrong reasons and it became kind of a weird like siren song for douchebag bros, but the movie's still fantastic in its own right. That's why they say that Rick and Morty has Fight Club Syndrome. Yeah. Same exact thing. LA Confidential. Screenwriters say that if you want to learn how to write a good screenplay, you should look at LA Confidential. That it's like just one of the best in terms of using every scene and bit of dialogue to progress forward. It's a great fucking movie, too, aside from Kevin Spacey's unfortunate retroactive involvement with it. It's a great fucking movie. Uh, Kevin Spacey. There are a lot of movies like that, unfortunately. Baby Driver, I still love, but it's really fucking hard to watch it anymore. Yep. It's one of those movies where like, I don't want to return to because in my head, I remember it so fondly. I, know, I love Baby Driver, but I know as soon as I watch it again, Kevin Spacey's dumb motherfucking face is going to ruin it for me. <laughs> and I don't want that to happen. <laughs> here's one that i didn't realize was better than the book until very recently is it jaws because jaws the book was a piece of shit and the movie is phenomenal i was under the impression that jaws the book was a meme before memes were a thing like I, <laughs> I thought that it was like a, a semi-fake story that that fucking spielberger was like uh yeah i can make some good <laughs> i'm calling him spielberger from now on <laughs> The fucking Spielberger was like, yeah, I can make a good movie out of this. He's the Spielberger. <laughs> God damn, Polly Shore. Like, I was under the impression that it like was not purposefully, but not a good book, like, as a cliche. Oh, one that I just read recently, uh, Children of Men. I've never read the book, but I was not over the moon with the movie, to be honest. Meh. I liked the movie. I liked the movie, like you know, pretty good. It was it was a solid like seven for me. Good cinematography, good concept, all that stuff. I liked it a lot. Only several years later did I find out that it was based on a novel because I don't read credits apparently. I read the novel. I was like, okay, I like the movie. Book is probably better, as is generally the rule. Usually. Nope. Nope. Movie is better. We just had this conversation, though, and I didn't know that Stand By Me was based on a Stephen King book until recently. Uh, Shawshank was based on a short story. Dude, Stephen King's fingers are all through Hollywood. It's nuts. Oh, yeah. He's everywhere. You've read his memoir, right? On writing? I have. It's actually excellent. He's a weird dude, Stephen King. (laughs) 
he makes such a really good point though about how to write interesting detail that like i had to set the book down and like think about it for a couple days yeah because it's really great because it's autobiographical and he talks about some heavy stuff in there about like his family and addiction and just like really difficult times in his life but i really like the format because it's the first like the first half is just a memoir like his life is just like this is how i grew up and the shit that happened to me and then the second half is like and here is how that first half informed how to write books <laughs> it's great it's a really good format so what seth is saying is he's looking forward to the movie that is better than the book that yeah. is on writing <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> that would be pretty sweet honestly to see a stephen king biopic i'd watch it that's the kind of biopic i'd want speaking of memoir i just finished jeanette mccurdy's book um this is the last tangent i promise i don't believe you <laughs> I've heard it's brutal, but I've heard it's very, very, very good. It is. It is brutal. It is actually a lot like Stephen King's where she talks about her eating disorders, mental illness and stuff, just full in the face. Just matter of fact, this is the thing that happened to me. This is how it is. This is what's going on. Next sentence. Like it is very much like a, a not coy memoir. Like it's just the details of her life and it is brutal and it is wonderful and it's great highly recommend reading it is not a comfortable read you will not feel good about it but it is very much worth the effort it's one of those things based on what i'm hearing that there will probably inevitably be a movie at some point or like an hbo series or something it sounds like coming out the other side of this novel i don't think she would want that ever well if ever there was a market for a movie based on three nerds in three different states doing a podcast every week you guys better believe I would sell the rights to that in a fucking heartbeat. <laughs> Seth looked actually kind of offended and kind of disappointed in that. I would cut you in. I wouldn't keep all the money. I would give you some money. Not offended or disappointed. My face was, would I insist on playing myself? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've moved on. I should pay attention. <laughs> oh, they've moved on. I should pay attention is pretty much like the thesis of this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, put that on a fucking shirt. Can't spell Space Castle without ADHD. <laughs> For real. You certainly can't make Space Castle without ADHD. <laughs> no, you can't. At least I can't. I've been trying for years. You ready for my take on a movie that's just as good as the book? Oh, equal. Okay. I think it's equal. In some ways, it's better. And in some ways, it's not. But it's... Is it a Harry Potter and Philosopher's Storm? Philosopher's Storm? I didn't see that one. <laughs> uh, no, The Martian is what I was going to say. Ooh. I'm going to get a hard time for that. Okay, let's discuss because I have opinions. I think that it was an excellent adaptation to film because it is a book that is very difficult. It's a hard movie to make based on the material, except for that Andy Weir wrote it in a way that the rescue portion is very filmable because that's where you introduce the rest of your cast. Otherwise, it's just Mark Watney up uh, on Mars. I think it's a really, really good adaptation. You know, when you're watching the Olympics and a gymnast is doing a routine on the two bar, flipping around, doing crazy shit, and you're just glued to the, to the set. Like, this is unbelievable. And then they dismount, land, and take a stumble step forward. That was the Martian movie for me. Mm. Absolutely spectacular adaptation. Just missed it on the landing. Just a little missed it at the end. It's kind of how I feel about every episode of Space Castle. 
And I think that's probably going to do it for this one. As always, it's your clubhouse nerds for all things nerdy. My name is DT, and I give this podcast 7.6. I'd give him 706 out of 10. Also, I'm Redwine and Snatch Alex, part-time librarian, Winnebago thief, inverse Batman, King Killer Dude, Centaur Biologist, Bison Basher, Master and Space Commander, Molotov Dong Hammer. And today, I am a taco cow herder. And I have been Seth, as himself. Bye, love you. What's what's your score? What's your score, Seth? You can't score your own work, friends. I do it in all things. Cooking, podcasting, other things. Is that why you gave your own goddamn podcast a 7 out of 10? Yeah. I thought it was being generous. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Untenable. Unforgivable. Apparently it was untenable to DT. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. God damn it. (laughs)